Hello, and welcome back to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I'm Maggie Elmer, and on today's episode, along with Matt, Tony, Emma, and our special guest host, Dr. Pete Bellini, we talk about evangelism. Evangelism is a topic that's near and dear to the Spirit and Truth team. We cover it in depth during our awakening weekends. So if you're a pastor who's been trying to have the evangelism conversation with your flock, this is a great episode for you. Or if you're a person who's just trying to get better at sharing their faith, then this is a great episode for you too. Before we jump into that conversation, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on your preferred podcasting platform. All right, let's get started. And today we're going to talk about one of the topics that you're super passionate about, Dr. B. We're going to talk about this idea about public witness. And uh, I love hearing your conversion story, but we don't have time for that today because we're going to get to more than just that. Because if you hear Dr. Bellini's conversion story, it, it immediately goes into a witness story. But maybe you could give us a it frame. It takes a long time to does, share my story. It does. I love It's I, a it, good one. We'll link to it in the show notes, actually. I, uh, you told it on the Reclamation podcast. Oh, I have. Yes, yeah. Yes. And so we'll link to that there if somebody wants to go back and listen to it. But maybe you could start off by giving us a really solid definition of what public witness is and why it matters. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll do the best I can. I'm not an expert, and it's not my forte necessarily, public witness. Um, I just feel maybe that's a place where the church needs to uh, have some degree of focus. And, and that simply is, is you know, witness, we witness for Christ to the world, right? And witness is we, we speak, we declare, we proclaim in word and in deed, uh, the truth about Jesus, the gospel, you know, who Christ is and uh, what he's come to do, and that is to save the lost, to forgive sins, and to give us new life. And uh, what we say and what we do as the church is our witness, uh, you know, on his behalf for him, we witness to the world who is, you know, is in need of salvation. So that's our witness. Um, Our public witness, I would say, in a sense is, you know, how does the church uh, share that gospel with the world, uh, with the with the public? How does the public see us, and how do we communicate uh, who we are as the church to the world? And I, that's that's fairly simple. And but I think it uh, it looks differently in uh, different time periods in history, and uh, surely it looks different now than it would like you know fifteen hundred years ago. And I think it also varies relative to the culture, relative to the culture you're in. Of course, you're always communicating the gospel in culturally specific language and forms. But then, you know, also where's the culture at relative to the gospel? Um, H. Richard Niebuhr wrote a good book. Uh, it's a classic on the on the subject called Christ and Culture, mm. and it just looks at the different postures the church has in relation to the culture, you know, Christ and culture side by side, Christ of culture, that the church is almost a a product of the culture or, you know, Christ against culture, Christ transforming culture. So there's different postures because, um, you know, there's times that the the culture is a little more conducive to the gospel as the case when the, uh, when after the Emperor Constantine's supposed conversion in the fourth century, all of a sudden Christianity went from being, you know, uh, public enemy number one to being the religion of the empire. So it, it switched quickly from being, 
you know, the Christianity and the culture at odds, great persecution happened then, right, and martyrdom, to all of a sudden, you know, the the emperor is proclaiming to be a Christian. So now it's all of a sudden it's good to be, you know, a Christian. And uh, there's no longer persecution. And he's, at the Edict of Milan in 313, he kind of, you know, says that's it. Leave, leave those Christians alone. Uh, you know, so, you know, we have to look at the culture and the time period we live in now and uh, what does that relationship between us and the public look like? Mm-hmm. And we want to be faithful in our proclamation of the truth and of Christ and, and witnessing and yet it, it may look a little different in this culture. And in my opinion, I think it does now because we're in a different time period and a different place and uh, time and space in this culture where Christianity is no longer front and center. Uh, we're, we're, we're in a so-called post-Christendom era and maybe even getting closer to an anti-Christendom era here in the West. Well, Matt, you talk a lot about this uh when we go on our weekends, um, just the nature of how, uh, what the state of the Christian union is, I guess. is. So do you want to t- say a little bit about that? Well, I, yeah, part of what I, I'm talking about when I encourage that is kind of what um, Dr. B is talking about. And just we have to think about the church differently when you when you actually are realistic about the culture that we find ourselves in and so there's still i feel like some in the church who tend to think of north america as sort of a broadly christian place and but when you look at all of the statistics i mean uh america has been de-churched mm-hmm. uh for a while and the trends are pretty alarming and when you look at both the the, the faith claims that when people are surveyed about who has religious belief at all and who doesn't, uh, the in- increase uh, in non-Christian folks in our culture is dramatic. And the view of evangelism as a negative thing, mm-hmm. of actually sharing your faith. You know, there's a recent study within the last year or so, maybe two years, um, I think it was Barna, I don't know, it could have been Pew, one of those, that showed that half of all millennials actually view evangelism as a negative thing. So when you look at the state of Christianity in our context, part of what I try to challenge pastors and churches to, to reckon with is if we don't start acting like a missionary movement again, we're really missing the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely in that outsider. Yeah. Posture and the working defini- definition of evangelism is uh, doing something you don't want to do to people who don't want it done unto them. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, by 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 means of our circumstances, yeah, that is the working definition. Um, but I think I I, I just want to push on that point just a tad more, just to say most of our church structures and mo- I would guess most of the folks that are listening to this podcast just knowing the typical kind of churches in North America. Most of our church structures and emphases were created in a more Christendom-type mindset. You're in a 1950s kind of church mentality where there was an assumption within the culture. There was cultural pressure even to attend a church. And so it was kind of the assumption that you're going to go to church or be connected to a church, just a matter of picking one. Yeah. Well... We're, we still have a lot of church structures and even how we think about outreach. For example, we, 
you know, especially in the church growth area, era, we really emphasized our Sunday morning worship time as our primary sort of evangelism tool. We may not have named that explicitly, but that's kind of, we say the front door to the church is inviting someone to a worship service. Well, that doesn't make sense. That That's not how missionaries operate in a culture where Christianity is not the norm. That was created in a culture where you assumed that people were going to generally go to church. And so this that leads to some very practical shifts in the way we approach our lives and ministry as Christians if you actually understand the state of, of the culture right now. Culture is such an interesting thing because I think one of the realities is, is that for every generation, culture looks a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we have Emma here with us today. Emma is our resident Jen, are you Gen Z? Yes, yes I am Gen Z. Gen Z. So um, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Zoomers, that's right. Zoomers. I went to University Zoom my senior year. Of high yeah, school. you did. <laughs> um, so as as a, a Gen Zer, um, and I'm not asking you to speak for your entire generation, but I cannot do that. What's so your kind of, kind of is my kind of okay. am? Yeah. What's your hot take? on this idea about public witness and evangelism from your peers' perspective. Sure. And actually, this is something that as I have and as I am maturing in the faith, it's something that the Lord has really, um, like, putting a sword through between me and Mm. the culture that I have been raised in, which is that declaring your faith publicly or in any way if you are trying to get people to to follow Christ is blatantly wrong it's not like a oh I just like this or anything like that like people hate being told what to believe Mm. because they don't hear Christ when they hear Christian they hear anti-abortion they hear no rights they hear laws this 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 rather than a loving God or you know how God actually is so they don't pick up character they pick up social beliefs and so I would say when it comes to evangelism is if you walk up to a person and try to evangelize in a traditional way it's not going to be received the same way that you portray yourself doing a good Christian duty. Right. Right. Evangelism has to happen through relationship if it's going to be received well from my generation. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's the place where we need to. It doesn't mean we don't have a public witness. Um, I think there's there's certain people or institutions or movements that are going to be called to be faithful to God and share the, a witness even though it won't be received yeah, or heard, I.e. I yeah. like Jeremiah, and we're doing this unto the Lord. And I think we need to be faithful in that sense, even though it may often not be heard. Uh, otherwise, I think that the church wor- has to work on its own authenticity or its own branding, if you will, not to be more culturally pleasing or more user-friendly, 
in other words, watering the gospel down. But I think, uh, like you said, Emma, they the culture sees something different than what we think we're, we're portraying. Yeah, exactly. And so we really need to work on, I think, and our own authenticity. Are we following what we say we follow? Are we who we say that we are? And working on our hypocrite, our hypocritical quotient. Our, you know, are, are we, yeah, yeah, are we not who we claim we are? And uh, so I think the church needs to work on its branding, and it, it needs to be working prophetically on its own salt and light, and dealing with its own sin issues. I think that's huge. And then there are some that are going to be called to public witness, even though it may not often be heard. But I think the more uh, effective mission is going to be relational friendship evangelism forming those relationships going out into the world in public and um, whether it's at your gym or whatever and forming relationships and when people are in need in different periods in their life where they're you know uh, going through a crisis then they may reach out to you or you may feel you have enough credibility then to reach out to them and then hopefully through that you know share Christ and I've seen that be effective that still has some can get some traction in the culture. I have a question for you, and I'm, I'm not even sure exactly how to phrase it, but when Emma was alluding to this in the way that I think younger generations receive the Christian public witness. And this is actually, it's, um, I think it's, it's perhaps divisive within the Christian community, especially in some more charismatic circles. Um, it seems as though there, there's a certain camp, and I think you'll know what I mean when I allude to this, that believes that the way that we witness to Christ in the public is by taking over certain social spheres, like establishing uh, power in places like politics, mm-hmm. you know, where then we can pass laws that that those people believe are in alignment with Christian values, etc. And while I understand that, I have some real concern about it because I... I think that's part of what rubs people wrong when they when they get the when they believe when they hear the Christian witness coming through as politicking for certain uh, you know even for specific politicians and it's I'm not going to pigeonhole this on one side or the other but you know there's this like dogged allegiance to different politicians because this is what the Lord wants for the country that's where it feels like what Emma was saying is a um, is a rejection of that, but yet that's the kind of mentality that I see in in different pockets of Christianity. Like the way we be a witness, we are a witness to the world is by taking over these areas and sort of implementing Christian values mm-hmm. through the secular structures of the world. To me, that doesn't seem to align with what, the way I see Jesus operating mm-hmm. in the New Testament. Do you know? Do you know what I'm asking? And ca- yeah. how do we reckon with all that? Yeah, I, 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 I think I agree. I would say I agree with that. Um, in my opinion, because, again, this uh, problem with the, uh, the authentic witness of the church and, and our failures and our shortcomings, that we haven't been able to demonstrate and embody the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We haven't been able to uh, embody that in terms of the power of the kingdom, so our theological witness has uh, 
been compromised, if you will. And as a result of that, I think we have gone for power grabs because of that deficiency. We've politicized the gospel. Uh, We no longer walk in the kind of kingdom power we need to that would be a demonstration of the Holy Spirit, of a changed life, a changed church, and uh, the, you know the, the power of the kingdom, delivering, setting people free, and, and, all, and those sort of things. And so we've, uh, we've because our theological witness is compromised, we're, we're power grabbing and politicizing. We're looking for politics to do what the Holy Spirit alone can do, and that is to yeah. change and transform. And so what we have then is you have the, the people, the liberals, progressives, and the conservatives are both vying for, they want a position on, on the left and right side of Jesus. So the, the progressives are on the left side, so we want a, a place in heaven on the left side. We represent you, Lord. And then the conservatives, we want to be on your right side, Lord, just like the disciples were fighting in Acts or in Mark, Mark chapter 8, I believe, where they were you know, jockeying for positions of power. And the Lord said, wait a minute, you got it wrong. Uh, We don't operate the way the Gentiles do. That's how the Gentiles uh, deal with power. They seek to lord it over one another. And it shall not be so among you. But if you want to be the greatest, you have to be the least. You have to be the servant of all. So Jesus's approach to power is servanthood and uh, Becoming, uh, you know, servants and laying our our lives down, which is not (laughs) very popular. And so uh, I I think the church has never done well historically with power in its hands, historically. We went back to talking about the Roman Empire and whatnot. We've not done well with political power because we're not supposed to have that kind of power. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians don't vote. They're not good citizens. They don't run for office. It doesn't mean that, you know, we don't vote for the best candidates who are going to make some political changes where uh, some of the values echo what we think are are Christian uh, values. We we definitely do that, but that is not the thrust of our public witness. Uh, Nowhere in the gospel can we make a claim that Jesus said that, you know, in order to get this gospel out, make sure you guys get in power. Yeah. Well, that you saw how that was. I mean, how, how did Jesus deal with the power of Rome? How did Jesus deal with the power of Israel? Well, he was on the cross. He laid his life down. Yeah. He didn't take out the sword. There was no insurrection. He told Peter, put it back. He even healed the ear of the person that tried to cut it off. So I think the people that are on the left and are on the right in extreme positions that want to jockey for power, like in Mark 8, are missing it. And that's not where we want to go. But that doesn't mean we water down the witness either, where, okay, well, it's not popular in the culture, so then, you know, we're going to water things down to make it more acceptable. Uh, I don't believe that that's what, you know, being culturally specific and relevant means. We need to be critical about, you know, how we're contextual and not just baptize everything into the culture. But right now, that's where it's at, and we're politi- everything is politicized. Yeah. Everything. Sports. You know, everything's politicized, and now we're politicizing religion. Yeah. And uh, that I just don't think that's being an authentic witness, let alone, okay, so the, the, the culture's not going to receive it. But ultimately, that's not why we do what we do. We don't have a missio culture, In other words, the mission driven by the culture. No, our mission is driven by God. It's the mission of God, the Missio Dei. We participate in it. But I also think God wants us to be wise and effective and not use like forms or wineskins that are not going to work, not going to be conducive, or not get a hearing 
with the public, though there are going to be people that really need to speak the truth regardless of how it's received. Um, and they're going to get they're, they're, there's going to be persecution, and we're allergic to that. And don't you think actually? I mean, I think that's uh, yeah. I agree so much with what you just said. And I don't you think that's the same sin that we see uh, the temptation of some of Jesus' followers falling into in the New Testament. I mean, they're oh, look yeah, they're yeah. looking for Jesus exactly. to be a political savior. Exactly. And he resists that at every turn. You right. Know? They're wanting they want to call down fire at some point. They want to yeah. be on his left hand and his right yeah. hand. Yeah. They're ready to whip out a sword. You don't have to go to the cross. They're clearly yeah. wanting to do that because they're confronting these powers that you're con- you're being confronted by Rome, who is in- in- encroaching on your freedom as an Israelite, the existence of your nation, and then you have the puppet, you know. Pilate and the puppet Herod that are there to keep the the Pax Romana, the Pisa of Rome, and to give them a semblance that they have some degrees of freedom. So that's very precarious and fragile. So some people are like, don't stir the pot like the Pharisees were, or they're going to come in and, and, and crush us. Rome will crush us. Or now's the time to take over. Now's the time to get the sword. We got Jesus. We got our man. He's got power. Let's do it. So there was both of those. Yeah. You know political right and political left decisions that could have been made there that Jesus clearly does not follow either one of those and so I think the progressives today need to hear that that all of the you know kind of speaking truth to power and revolution I'm sorry it's not in the Gospels Jesus did not create a revolution against the Roman Empire and to those on the right I'm sorry Jesus did not say yeah let's grab all the swords and let's just you know take over uh, I, I don't see either of those responses being biblical yeah i see jesus's response being biblical and he died on the cross it wasn't popular then not popular now yeah i mean i think if you look at the gospel of john in uh chapter 17 verse 23 he says that that i would be in them you are i am in them you are in me so that they may be brought to complete unity and unity is the ultimate witness of god's power because we're so stinking bad at it <laughs> like yeah. the a unity of the spirit, spirit. and yes. a unity in the love as demonstrated by the father and the yeah. son so That's we right. qualify because nowadays you know love you know we love yeah. every you know I, I love ice cream i love to hate my enemies you know we have love all over love well, is love and we know <laughs> and we know by the fruit of the spirit like those are the things that allow us to uh, to prefer one another right so it is when we are demonstrating love joy peace right. forbearance kindness you know all of those things those fruit yeah yeah the fruit of the spirit is is the thing that allows us to decrease so that right. christ may right. increase right. so that we can then make space right and i think that's yeah that's the authentic witness and the gospel is always going to be a scandal on it's always going to be a stumbling block just make sure people are stumbling for the right reason the cross and not you Mm -hmm. so we need to demonstrate the love of christ and if it's still understood as being well you 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 know you just hate us or you hate our sin again at that point you know that it was never popular yeah the gospel's never popular you know, I, I think that uh, there's probably somebody listening right now who works in a church, maybe pastors a church, or is a lay leader, and they're listening to this and they're feeling super convicted. Okay, Christian literature doesn't work. You know, beating up somebody somebody upside the head doesn't work. <laughs> um, there there are five of us around the table who are all active in the local church. Several pastors here. A lot of people who've been doing this for a long time. Given the context. I think we have to wrestle with the question, what does work? Mm. What works in our public witness? What works in evangelism? And 
and I, Dr. B, let's start with you. But I, I, w- I want to go around the table, and I, w- I want you kind of just share maybe what what would work on you if you didn't know Christ. Well, let me let me ask you a question. So I'll do what we're not supposed to do: answer a question with a question. What do you mean by works? See, I think that's huge because in a pragmatic society and a church that is very pragmatic, mm. works means oh, we get people to come to church, or we get people. You know, our numbers go up on Sunday. That's not what I mean by works. What do you mean by works? Yeah, I'm well, not saying that's what you do either. Yeah, that's what sometimes people out there think. Th- that's a great clarity. You know, we're getting Christianity Let's, back in, in the public sure. eye. That's what we want. No, well, you know. Let's go ahead and assume that the church leader who's listening has already been to either the Spirit and Truth Conference <laughs> or has had an awakening weekend at their church. Because right? that's the majority of our audience. They're, they're already a part of our tribe. So they know how we feel about programmatic discipleship or or uh, you know, church growth gimmicks or any of that. Let's assume that the church leader who's listening is in alignment with their, their lay leadership team and their board, and they've said, okay, that the growth that we wanna see is for Christ to be known in our community. And if Christ is known in our community, then we'll never have to worry about an empty church. Let's assume that as kind of the baseline understanding as we all kind of wrestle with this question, what do we do with public witness after that okay yeah well that that's fair so assuming that you know people are they're already in they're already in the tribe they believe kind of like hey we're 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 relational we're not programmatic we don't care about church growth numbers we care about jesus right Uh, so then what you know what what do we do that works we need to be go back to the revolution here being a christian Wait, hold on. I, I need to write that down. Be, uh, yep, I got it. A Christian. So what do we, got what it. do we do? What's going to work? What do we do? What do we do? What's going to work? Be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I think that is simple but very profound. And that's dealing with the authenticity of our own witness. And I think that's the season we're being called in. Right now, I believe that America is going through judgment, but I also believe more so the churches. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And I believe the light, the prophetic light of the Spirit is on the church saying, you know, before you start to point fingers and deal with the world and offer the gospel, I want to deal with the sin that's in the church. Yeah. You know, Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua the priest needs to be cleansed first before he can do the work of the priest. And so right now that the church is, the Spirit's looking at quality control within the church our witness going back to basics repenting of our sin being delivered of our issues our garbage our junk Mm -hmm. how do we handle love in our own family how do we handle our practical life our finances our computer time practical stuff god's cleaning house Mm -hmm. yeah and so it's about us repenting and being christians and then wherever we go to be a christian and then we'll do will do Christianity. So at that point, if I'm being a Christian, wherever I am and wherever I go, that public witness is my uh, my light of being a Christian to people in the gym where I go or in the classroom or in the marketplace of being salt and light and forming you know relationships. Yeah, I love that. Relationships that are authentic, that demonstrate of the being of Christ, that they're seeing the love of Christ in me long before my words say it, mm-hmm. that I'm being it, and I'm doing it, and then they could probably come to some conclusions. There's something about this person and begin to hopefully, once you build credibility and put enough deposits in, you can make some withdrawals <clears throat> when it's needed. And I've seen this over and over again in places where I spend a lot of time, like the gym, 
where people have come to me during times of crisis and need and whatnot, and I didn't have to come to them because they would see the relationship I had with them, and then they'd ask you, what do you do for a living and all of that? Well, I'm a professor, Professor Ware, you know, theology, what's that, blah, blah, blah. But they would start to come to me because the authentic witness creates the credibility and allows for the grace and the favor and the open door for a hearing to say, okay, that witness has now counteracted and diluted and washed out the witness that Emma, you talked about, which is either something bad taste in their mouth from other Christians or a distorted caricature that they've got from uh, you know public uh, social media or wherever, or you know a legitimate you know well I've had a bad experience in church where that more that true witness replaces that. So I think it's we have a lot of rebuilding to do in terms of a public trust. And it begins with us yeah. taking care of our own stuff instead of always worrying about marketing the church. Jesus turned over tables and whipped people over the church, or in this case, the temple, being driven by market uh, market agendas, making my house, he said, a identities a house of merchandise rather than a house of prayer. And so... We have a we have, we, we we just we had this conversation at lunch. Yeah, yeah. that's absolutely <laughs> right. Emma, thoughts from you? Yeah. So, in response to what Doctor B was saying, the first thing that came to my mind was actually um, in reference to how he was talking about repentance, and um, I think to begin, you just really, at least in my own life check the motivation of your heart behind evangelism. Is this to make me look good? Is this to make me look like a churched person? Is whatever the motivation behind your heart is, you have to be very aware of that. Mm -hmm. And then as he was quoting, you know, Jesus flipping tables because his house was not a house of prayer at that time, I think evangelism begins in prayer and listening to the prompting of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit works. That's what he does. You know, we just partner with him in evangelism. So really listening, you know, practice listening prayer with the Lord. God, open up an opportunity for me to partner with you in ministry today. Open up and continuously pray for those type of um, encounters uh, rather than having this mindset of, oh, evangelism will just happen. You know, like, it'll just like magically poof. I'm, right. I'm in a situation where I get to share the Lord. I, I really believe that you have to wait on him um, and listen to his prompting and how he actually wants you to engage in a situation or with a person. And I'm gonna quote Matt Reynolds here, <laughs> who has taught me so much about this. And he says, when the spirit comes, people go. Hmm. And so waiting on him, listening to him, that's what he does is he sends people. So that's my two cents. Dr. Reynolds. (laughs) Are you talking to me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, Matt, same question to you. Uh, Same idea about what kind of public public witness. And then, uh, Margaret, we'll go to you after that. Well, I'll just build on what uh, has already been said because I, yeah, that just they're they're already speaking my heart on this. Um, I think 
real real christians always reproduce real christians always reproduce i mean when you i mean just look at the fabric of scripture this is what you see spiritual multiplication from beginning to the end and um jesus first invitation to the disciples uh i feel like there's some weird looks around this language because your minds need sanctified that's why (laughs) Well, I, w- I was just going to say that maybe we should clarify what reprodu- real Christians reproduce. You're not talking about physically. And I went to go, s- I was going to say that into the microphone. Like you're talking about spiritually they reproduce. That's not language that everybody uses. I don't know. Uh, I mean, so. I mean, and the scripture you, says be fruitful and multiply. Yes, that's so. true. But that's not how you mean it in this context. Well, it is what I mean. But, but that's spiritually. not how that phrase Spiritually. spiritually. <laughs> okay. Spiritually. Okay. Back to Jesus. All right. Please. Moving on. Okay. 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 <laughs> No, and and Jesus' first invitation to the disciples, like in Mark's gospel, I talk about this a lot, uh, but in Mark's gospel, after he announces his public ministry, his first invitation uh, to his first disciples is, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. So from word one, initial invitation, there is an expectation of multiplication. And so um, there is no sense like of a new testament christian that doesn't participate in witness to the world there that's that that sort of christian doesn't exist mm-hmm. in the new testament mm-hmm. this that's a kind of a that's a modern construct that we think that we can be a full christian and just keep it all to ourselves um or it's a special call. I don't have special that call. call. Yeah. Yeah. We have yeah. feelings about that. Yeah. And so I guess what you know one of my great passions is helping churches get past this idea that there's going to be some silver bullet program that's mm-hmm. going to attract mm-hmm. people, some perfect formula mm-hmm. in the way you do worship that's going to attract people. No, in our post-Christendom culture, the thing that we need to do more than anything is disciple at least a few people to the point that they can go and actually reach people in their own spheres of influence. Right. You know, I think if we stopped obsessing over how to trick people into our church buildings and started at least discipling a few of the people who are already there to the point that they can go and make disciples themselves, we'd be so much um, so much further ahead. So that's the, that's the big shift. When I talk about, like, recapturing a missionary mindset, it's just everyday people seeing themselves as missionaries right, right, where, where, right where they're planted. Right. You already, like, I tell churches all the time, you have missionaries in your church that are planted in every sphere of right. your, your society, in the groceries, in your clubs, in your sports teams. You've got missionaries there already. They're just not acting like it. Right. And so, therefore, the, the key to evangelism in this day and age is be a friend. Yeah. Be yeah, a right. real friend where you're at in places that are familiar and unfamiliar. You know, go also places where you're usually not used to going as well, like Jesus did. Jesus, uh, his line of work, He's a woodworker. He's a carpenter. Where does he start off? At the Sea of Galilee, on the shore with fishermen. He goes to a place that's even foreign for him and says, I will make you all, you know, fishers. 
So this new network that he's formed with these fishermen become the new nets that he casts out. His first nets he casts out is this new network that he forms going places that is that are also uncomfortable, not just, you know, I like going to my boxing gym and, you know, those are my people and it's easier to, to share there. But there's going to be times where as the church gets more and more distant from the culture, a lot of those areas are going to be distant for us that we got to have to cross boundaries like Jesus did. He said i need to go to samaria there's someone i need to be a friend and share the share yeah. the you know the, the living water woman with at the, well. the woman at the well so we need to become f- friends now and start networks of friendships be a, be a, be an authentic and a real friend even to people this is going to be the key what i call the unwanted harvest yeah. to the people where the church doesn't want to connect they'd love to have those people become a number yeah. In, 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 yeah, into the church, but they would never want to get into their life and into their story because their story is way too messy. And we don't want—we're uh, clean. We don't want to become unclean by getting messed up and entangled in their stories. And so you, you know, just pick and choose whoever the the groups are that we're like, man, it's those people. Those are the people that are messed up. And yeah, that's true. But I mean, it's got to become more than just a talking point or a number. You know, that we want to get those people converted. Are we willing to be entangled in the messiness of what's out there as people are trying to, for example, figure out what gender or sex they are and all of these sorts of things that uh, the church usually has not been very good at, you know, no. working with? Uh, actually, exactly to that point, I mean, and this is m- m- maybe a little more um, sort of specific and practical what I would say is that, is that in order to be a good friend, you have to let Jesus be your friend first. You, <laughs> you have to. There's almost always something yes. that needs to be dealt with internally. And just I, like I can just speak from my own experience that before I was able to effectively communicate the gospel, I had to um, stop being offended by people. You just cannot carry any kind of spirit of offense. You just have to realize that Jesus loves everybody as much as he loves you. And um, one of the ways you can be delivered of a spirit of offense, A, is to have a profound revelation of God's love for mm-hmm. yourself and to understand that his heart for everyone is is profound. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would say is, is we need to just recover a, a sense of... Um, we need to dispel with worldly sorrow and and understand godly sorrow. Mm. So worldly sorrow for our sin is when we're just like, man, I'm really bummed I got caught. <laughs> you know, I hate like feeling guilty. Yeah, I don't like feeling mm. guilty about this. But um godly sorrow over our sin is when we understand how God sees mm. our sin. Mm-hmm. And when we understand that, we understand the degree of our own deliverance and salvation, and then we can have godly compassion like for other people like so yeah so that when we go into those places that are uncomfortable for us we're not looking at them like you're so alien from me right. because the truth is is look drugs might not be your problem pornography might not be your problem but you got a problem okay and god had to deal with it right right the you cross know leveled everything yeah so oh, that's it's so good I, I like that to be a fr- to be a, be a friend, friend with god meaning God no longer is, and we have a lot of false concepts of God. Yeah. Someone that you're working for, someone who's your oppressor, someone who's angry at you, someone who's judging you, someone who is, you've constructed in the image of your dysfunctional father or yeah, mother. Yeah, exactly. You're healed of all of those misconceptions and mm-hmm. 
dysfunctional concepts of God and you've allowed God to heal you yeah. and he God is your father and you're about the father's business you're doing the family family business yeah. now for with the friend family member even mm-hmm. rather than you know I'm I'm evangelizing with a vengeance yeah for numbers for notches on my or I'm angry my Christian belt yeah, yeah. or I'm <laughs> angry at society I'm angry at these people yeah. how dare they you yeah know? no you can't you can't walk around with that in your heart no that's so good uh we're we're going to wrap it up here in just a minute, but we do want to close kind of with this story, uh, something that we experienced when we were in um, Georgia. And uh, I'm going to let Matt tell the story, and then uh, Maggie's going to wrap us up and close us out. Okay. Well, I thought it would be fun just to share at least one quick testimony because uh, what we're talking about is a big part of the ministry that we do when we're with local churches on awakening weekends, these kind of retreat experiences that we lead in the local church. And um, as we were talking, it just made me think um, of our friend Alan, and uh, in down in in South Georgia, we were there. I don't know, has it been a month ago now or something? A little while. Well, could be a year. It all feels like a, a long month. time. It's a little, <laughs> like a month and a half. Days maybe. are long, Matt. It's so, true. but this is kind of a, a typical experience that we've had at at these kind of churches, where uh, one of the discoveries I think people find about sharing their faith is that it doesn't have to be complicated yeah it's just like you can take very simple steps of obedience very practical steps and god will meet you in that and do some really fun stuff and so one of the one of the exercises that we do is we uh, we lead people on a prayer outreach and we don't really have an agenda we just try to give people a little equipping and then we send them out they're totally terrified but it's okay. The Holy Spirit's with them. We send them out into the community, pray for people, and they just ask you a simple question, how can we pray for you? And just see what God does with that conversation. And one of the people's, I think, most frequent discoveries is they're they're amazed at how many people are open to responding to that, how many people actually want prayer. So often the response is like, oh, are you serious? I really could use prayer for X, Y, Z, and no one's ever asked me that before, and things like this. And so I remember um, we're down at at that church with our good friend, Pastor Allen. He was going to hang back just like all pastors do because they all try to weasel out of this exercise. But so he's not alone. He's just with all the people that we that we go do. And um, and I coaxed him into coming with our our little team. And we went out and what we found, we're only about gone for about an hour. And within that one hour, uh, I think he gave his phone number to three different people who said that they either themselves or someone they knew was looking for a church and they volunteered that before and they knew I had a local pastor standing there next to me and I said hey have you ever met Pastor Allen and um, and it all started with just being authentic with people and offering how can we pray for you because there's so many people who are hurting who have needs in their lives they're looking for answers they don't know where to look they don't just you know actually I (laughs) I, I'm constantly amazed. The more ministry I do like that, I think a lot of people walking around on our streets are actually more open to the supernatural than a, most of the people sitting in our in yes. our pews. Yeah, and so they're they're looking for answers. They just don't know where to look. And so that simple little invitation, you know, and. Um, I remember Alan just being like, as we were going back, like, what just happened? Like, how, <laughs> how, how do we just go out for an hour around the community? And I have three people who are asking me for my info because they want, they need a local yeah. church. 
what I and what I want to encourage people with is that was super simple. We didn't we didn't manufacture anything. We didn't pre-plan anything. That didn't take any money. We didn't plan any kind of fancy sports program. It was super no, normal. No committees. No, no, no committees. committees. And that's and it's not just um, pastors that can do that. Every Christian person, mm. if you live your life in that kind of way, where you're like Emma said earlier. When the Spirit comes, God's people go. That's what happens. And if you live your life paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing, guess what God's heart is? His heart is for the people that you're interacting with, that you're crossing paths with in the aisle at Walmart and everywhere in between. And if you pay attention, Mm. there are more opportunities all around you than you can possibly imagine. And so uh, it doesn't have to be complicated to live your life as a as a witness to this world. Amen. Yeah, be a Christian and then you'll do as a Christian. Amen. Amen. That's been our podcast today. You guys, thank you so much for listening. Remember, when you leave a review on the Spirit and Truth podcast between Christmas and New Year's, you're automatically entered to win one free ticket to the Spirit and Truth conference in Dayton, Ohio, March 9th through 11th. For more information on the conference, head on over to our website, spiritandtruth.life conference.